With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. both had heavy schedules so it's been difficult but now it's good to be back so um lots to talk about right well yeah the plus side of that is having a lot more to talk about with the news unraveling and man we have a a pretty hefty schedule today with what we're going to be discussing and just to give everybody a quick heads up we're going to be starting with the return of Cain Velasquez what what does it mean for a fighter to be returning against an opponent after two years of being laid off. Also, Anderson Silva that you guys saw this weekend. DC denying Stipe of a rematch. And then the plus side of having Dana White for the UFC. Even though the fans left to hate on him, you need him. So we're going to be jumping into that really quick, guys. Make sure to subscribe down below. Leave comments if you have anything that you would like me and James to discuss. Follow us on Facebook at Gloves Off Pod. And also, we are now on Instagram at Gloves Off Pod, and all the links are right down below. James, before we jump into any hot topics, man, what have you been up to this last uh, week? Because I, I know you opened up that new gym for the children. Yeah, it's been absolutely crazy because, like, of course, two weeks ago, we had one of my fighters, Paul Borg, here in Thailand. So I had that going on. That was an um, immense, crazy um, for the fight night here. That was here in, in Phuket. So that was really, you know, for one of my fighters to fight, like, one of the best ties in the world, if not the best tie in the world, in Thailand against the world was was a lot of pressure for everybody. But uh, you know, it was what it was. And then, of course, after that, um, just been getting the gym up and running, getting that going. I've secured one of the biggest international schools here called Head Start, which is probably the best or joint first best. Uh, biggest and in international schools here in Phuket. So now they've just put in the Muxuini martial arts uh, system into their school where I'm going to go to the school three days a week and teach at the school with his children, um, a thousand kids. And then obviously the kids can come to my facility as well. Um, just been getting everything ready, mate, to be honest. Just been, just, just been, there's a lot of paperwork to sort out, legalize to make sure the insurance is covered with the schools, make sure my gym's getting covered, still training fighters, still training myself. Um, you know, running new systems and just getting it all up and running, and it's just, it's just it's just a lot, especially to do on your own. Plus, run a household, be a father, be a husband, and 
you know, all the normal stuff you have to do and be a fighter in as well and peacekeeper and everything else you have to do on a daily basis. So, yeah, it's busy. And, of course, do a podcast with you, right? It's healthy, too. It's, it's, it's healthy to be active and have things to do, be goal-oriented and uh, live, live a healthy, positive lifestyle like that and always be on new adventures. Like, at, at this stage in your career, like, to be opening up a gym is the best thing that you can do, seeing little children and kind of sharing your experience with them. That's got to be pretty cool to uh, to kind of trade off, you know? Yeah, era. I mean, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of gyms out here in Phuket, and everyone's kind of bickering and fighting over the tourists, and high season's really busy, and low season's really quiet. But to be honest with you, martial arts is, was something I started as a child, and for me it was more like, um, how could I give back the Training fighters is all well and good, and they're always going to come to me and train me at a certain times throughout the time, no matter what. But um, it's it's not always the most rewarding, to be honest, because sometimes there's a lot of fighters that are very thankful, and there's a lot of fighters that have a, a huge ego where they almost think that they're doing you a favor by you training them. <laughs> you know? And it's like, so for me, training a child or giving a child the first start or opening the door to martial arts to them. It's so rewarding. And for me, I never forget who I first started training with 30 years ago, um, 33 years ago, actually, if I'm dead on. Um, so I never forget that. And I never forget the journey it's brought me on, how much amazing things it's taught me, um, good and bad across the world. So to be a part of some, uh, giving that back to another child or being a part of that, and, and um, it's very rewarding. And when you see their faces, when you teach them something new or you show them something it's just priceless and it's just so rewarding. So for me, I took that kind of niche in the market. There's no other gyms here in Thailand that have just for children. So I set up just a, just a kid's gym, a gym only for children, where it's just a pure uh, child system to conquer anti-bullying, uh, anti-bullying, um, conquer with different confidence issues, balance issues, coordination. And I built a whole system. It took me about almost 10, 11 months to build a system which is based here in Phuket for them. Because, um, every, of course, every country has a different uh, market research, right? So you have to change it to every country you, you live. So I had to completely change it again and make a whole new syllabus for the kids. And it took me about 10, 11 months. I did it, and then now we're flying with it, and then now it's starting to really take off. So for me, it's really rewarding. I'm, I'm very blessed. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Let's jump into some of the heavy topics that we need to discuss. And one of the reasons why people are enjoying this podcast is because you're on board as a fighter to kind of explain things, give an inside look on what it's like for a fighter. And the first topic is perfect for this podcast. Cain Velasquez returning after about two years of being laid off, not laid off, but kind of on the sidelines, you know, training guys on the Ultimate Fighter alongside DC. And now he's going to be fighting Francis Ngannou, who, if you guys aren't familiar with, he, he lost to Stipe, and then he's trying to get back on the horse. But his weakness, a lot of people are saying, is a wrestler, somebody like Kane. So first, James, I got to ask you, as a fighter, what is it like to return after this amount of time off? What can we expect from somebody like Kane Velasquez? Well, for a normal person, let's say a normal person's injured and they're off for two years which means they're inactive. They can't train as hard. I mean, let's get something straight. If you're not doing it every day, you're not getting better, right? 
that's the first problem. Then there's the ring rust and so forth. Uh, but with Kane's scenario, Kane has always stayed active. He's probably, in my opinion, has the best gas tank in any heavyweight I've ever seen. Um, we were just talking earlier before the show and talking about Kane of the Santos too. I was in Montreal when I saw that fight. I was cornering and trained Matt Riddle, and he took a fight. And we were in Montreal. Matt Riddle fought early in the show, and then they were the main event. And I remember sitting ringside just watching them fight, and it was just the pace and velocity that those two athletes went at. I said, this won't last, this won't last two rounds. Five rounds, it was still going. And the power and the noise, it almost like they were each other's kryptonite because neither one of them was the same again after that fight. And um, Kane has reinvented himself. You know, he's trained a good gym in, in America, a.k.a. in America is a great gym, got some good coaches. He's got great teammates. Um, he's put in the work. He's reinvented. I mean, like you said, you saw him fight Travis Brown. He was doing back spinning kicks. He's not just a wrestler. When you see him fight um, Brock Lesnar, his finish on Brock Lesnar was probably the best boxing combination I've ever seen in MMA so Kane is no longer just a wrestler but going to Francis Ngannou uh, Francis Ngannou uh, a very powerful puncher striking is his realm we saw Stipe open up a bag of worms on him and Stipe is not the best wrestler in the world right we saw we just seen that I mean Cormier was taking him down almost at will but Stipe was taking Ngannou down at will Cain Velasquez is another level in wrestling. His wrestling, not just on the wrestling uh, on mats, but in the MMA octagon, his wrestling, in my opinion, in the heavyweight division, he's definitely, if not the very best, or one of the very best. Him, him having two years off, I don't think you're going to see ring rust. I don't think you're going to see a guy that's unconditioned. You're not going to see the usual aspects of people that you see because Kane has been around an awful long time. He's one of the very best heavyweights to ever step in the octagon. And to be honest, in my opinion, it's going to be a very tough fight for Ninganu if Kane gets to play his game. It's, it, it's, it's a very, very, very exciting fight to watch. That's the thing that goes into this fight is what Francis brings to make this fight even more exciting and get people at the edge of their seat is what he can do in that first round as a power puncher. So what, what does Kane need to look out for in that first round? Well, he needs to look out for distance. Um, Ninganu is the kind of guy that boxes a lot from the outside. He's got, he's got that extremely long reach. He's got an extremely long jab. When you close the space on him, he has the tendency to dip the shoulder and he makes that beautiful uppercut, either from the lead left hand or from the right hand, right? That's his danger when you get too close of him. But unfortunately for Ninganu, we've already seen Stipe kind of break the mold. Stipe had exactly the right game plan to fight Ninganu. He did the right job. He pressured him. He kept him on the back foot. He kept him moving. He didn't let him plant his feet and throw that big haymaker punch. He took him down. What we saw was Ninganu get gassed out. Now, Ninganu, uh, we're hoping he's learned by that lesson, right? But the fact of the matter is, Ninganu will never catch up Kane in wrestling. He will never catch up Kane in jiu-jitsu. Never in a million years. Because Kane is never going to stop. 
So what we're what Ninganu's job is to do is to stop the takedown and then look for that big heavy strike, whether it's a punch, knee, whatever it may be, and catch Kane on the way in, or stop the takedown and hopefully catch Kane on the way out. Kane's job, watch the strike coming in. So that means he must punch on his entry, change his lines, don't stand in front of Ningano. You must create angles. He must make punches in bunches, in combinations, and then close the space to get initiate that takedown from an angle. Single-legged to doubles, single-leg dumps and stuff like that, or try to take his back. But that's the game. I mean, we're going to see who has who can implement the game plan the best. That's what we're going to see. We've seen Ninganu struggle when he's hit hostility. He hasn't had a second plan. That's the biggest problem with someone who's not so experienced is that they don't have a, an option to make a plan B or a plan C. In my opinion, Kane has made plan A, B, C, and D in fights before, and he's implemented them. If his first plan don't work, he'll go to plan B, and then he'll go back to plan A. Or they'll go to plan C, and then he'll go back to plan B. And he'll jump in and out of his game plans, and he'll find one that fits the need. That comes with experience. We're hoping for Ninganu's sake he can pull that off. As it stands right now, I, I don't know. And when it comes to Cain Velasquez... He is in the gym. He is still active as much as AKA. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, AKA, yeah. they go pretty tough over there. Like, that's the rumor. So it's not like, you know, he's going to be returning. It's not so much they go tough, but you've got two people training together, DC and Kane. Mm. Both heavyweights, both, you know, Kane, uh, uh, DC can be light heavyweight, but, you know, he's walking around heavyweight. Both Olympic-level wrestlers. Both got good striking, both got an amazing experience, both amazing training partners. Both have got a deep admiration for each other. Both help each other and very committed without any source of animosity. So for them two on its own, yeah, they can push the pace. Yes, they can go hard because you know what? They've got the trust in each other to go hard without taking it personal, to bring the very best out of each other. If DC's getting ready for a fight, I'm sure Kane is being more the nail than the hammer. And if it's the other way around, I'm sure Kane is being more the hammer and not the nail. Do you know what I mean? So they could allow each other to really push that pace, really pressure each other. Now, DC, in my opinion, is not the best training partner to emulate someone like Ninganu. I don't know who Kane's brought in or used to emulate Ninganu, if Ninganu can be emulated at all, because who, who have you got in the world can punch like a horse? I mean, there's not that many people out there, right? So, or the size and the structure of Ninganu is a is a very imposing will, big man. Um, it's not it, like it's, he hasn't fought heavy punchers before, though, right? Oh no, no. Listen, yeah. listen. Uh, Travis Brown, a big, strong, heavy puncher, big, strong, heavy puncher, and you know we saw what happened in that fight. It's not like he hasn't faced Amosity before or these kind of opponents. It's a perfect time for Ninganu to win the fight and try to put himself back in the top contention. Or it's an amazing comeback for Kane to knock off someone who had such the hype train two fights ago. He was the hype train of the, when he knocked out when he knocked out Alistair, it was the massive hype train of Ninganu, right? He was already he was already pictured as the heavyweight champion before he even got to Stipe, which, of course, was what Stipe was very much overlooked. 
And in my opinion, Stipe went out there and put on a performance of a lifetime and did the job that he was paid to do. As a champion, he made it work, and he did. And that's all credit to him. So Nagano's in a real um, hard place right now. He can either rise after this fight and put himself back into contention and prove himself by beating one of the very best fighters in the world. But then again, one of the best fighters in the world has had over a two-year layoff. It's crazy so it's, in this game. Like, you could be at the top of the world at one second, and then you lose one fight, and you got your back up against the wall, and people will write you off. It, it, that's how crazy the sport yeah, but, is. Yeah, but the thing is, though, that's, that's the, let, let's, let's put it in perspective. If you know anything about this sport, you never write the person off. Well, who writes mm. these people off? Fans. Yeah. Yep. That's who writes mm. these people. The fighter doesn't write himself off. The UFC doesn't write him off. Sponsors don't write him off. The only person who writes him off is someone who, like, is watching from the outside and really doesn't understand the game. All they do is follow the winner. Oh, he's the best in the world. Well, no, he got beat by him. The fact of the matter is, when you've got two guys in that level, anything can happen on any given day. There's a million ways to win and there's a million ways to lose. And if they fought ten times, maybe it'd be five and five. But someone has to lose first. You know what I mean? So... Real people don't write them off. Unfortunately, uneducated fans will write off a fighter. But then again, we have seen fighters out there, without mentioning names, that have had such a hype train. They take a loss. They believed all the hype of that hype train. They believed they were unbeatable. They believed that you know they were a god. They believed their shit didn't stink. They believed they were celebrities. They could get any woman they wanted and all the money in the world. And then they lost, and then they couldn't ever get that confidence back. And they lost, and then they lost, and then they lost, and then they were gone. We've seen that too. So we're going to see when Ngannou's at. And how do you see this fight going down? If you can make an early prediction for this fight, how do you see this really playing out? In my opinion, I think Ngannou has a very hard night. I think Kane moves his head, jabs his way in, gets his hands on him, and takes him down. And just be honest with you, I think it will just be a matter of once he hits the ground, uh, Kane won't be looking for a rushed ground and pound, but I think he's just going to wear him down. He's going to suck him down to the ground. He's going to get all their muscles full of blood. He's going to really make him, and if he, and then he's just going to ground and pound him out. If he does stand up, I think he'll knock him out. But I think Kane's too experienced. I think Kane's got too much in his arsenal. Um, uh, uh, to be honest with you, when I saw Kane fight the Santos the second time, I've never seen a fight like that. I heard the punches and I heard them so hard and for so long. Them two men had my complete admiration for the end. I would never write them off. Either one of them, I'll never write them off to this day. I Seems like we lost James for a second. Let's see if we can get him back in here. Come on, James. James, you there? there? Yep, yep. Hello, mate, you there? It was only like a two-second Yeah, I lost you for a second. Yeah. I said, yeah, no problem. I said, yeah, it, like, it took each other's soul, if you like. It was like they were both at each other's kryptonite. But I would never write off Kane. Um, I'm a fan of Ninganu. It's not like I don't like him. It's not personal. It's just my opinion. I believe Kane will take the fight in two rounds. 
Let us know what you guys think down below here in the comments. Kind of staying on the same track here. We recently saw not just Jose Aldo return and look phenomenal when fans wrote him off. He really came back to show everybody you guys are crazy. Anderson Silva did not look that bad against Israel Asanya. Like two of these guys that people were kind of like, oh, they're getting old, this and that. Really came back to prove to everybody that they still got it. They can still compete at the top caliber. Now, if Anderson Silva had two more rounds, I think he could have won that fight. James, what did you see in that fight uh, from Anderson Silva? Um, I saw I saw a part of Anderson Silva that I hadn't seen for a while or a long time. I saw the, some of the showboating and the uh, kind of stop a little bit. I saw him being a bit more dominant, which is what I used to love about Anderson Silva, how he would just walk. When, when his mind used to turn and he got like, – you always knew an Anderson fight, the first two minutes, he doesn't do anything. He just moves and moves and moves and moves and moves and moves and moves. Makes you miss. What he's doing is he's reading your movement. He's just reading how you move, how you how you strike, how you punch, how you're going to shot. It builds up a little bit of frustration in you. He'll call you on and dominate you mentally a little bit. And then when he's ready to put the pressure on, I mean, guy of the wow, the guy used to be just an absolute phenom. You know what I mean? Just an absolute just juggernaut. He would just run you down and with the most beautiful poetry in the world and confidence. So I saw him walking the guy down, which I haven't seen him do for a long time, since he broke his leg, actually. So that was really good part of Anis in the sea. Um, the fight took a turn for me. I felt like the fight took a turn when Anderson was against the cage and he just stepped back and he called him on like Anderson did. And Anderson didn't react. To me, in my opinion, that's when the fight changed mentally for Anderson. And to say, yeah, if he had another two rounds, well, the fact is he didn't have another two rounds and he knew going into the fight he had three rounds. So a younger, fitter, more confident, if you like, I don't think outclassed him. I don't think was even that much better than him. I just think, in my opinion, he did enough to beat Anderson where Anderson wasn't as dominant as he could have been mentally. I think he, he beat Anderson mentally, in my opinion. Here's where I get thrown off. I always feel recently, I always felt like Anderson is missing the eye of the tiger. Like he He's even said it himself in interviews, like, this is fun to me at this point. It doesn't feel like he's he's trying to really win fights like he used to. Do you, do you kind of sense no, that? But, yeah, I do. And that's what I say about I didn't see that for a long time because when he used to want to like, like when he fought Stefan Bonner, like he, he put himself against the cage, called Bonner the calm, and then just beat the crap out of him. When he fought Forrest Griffin, he, he, Forrest couldn't lay a hand. He was almost upset that Forrest tried to hit him. And then just knock Forrest out. Do you know what I mean? Like we've seen Anderson do some of the most amazing things in the ring and be some of the most amazing on point, focused danger. Like if he got if he could smell blood, you were gonna go down. That was the end of it. And that was how Anderson worked. You're right. Now you see Anderson out there having fun. It's like when he got knocked out and lost the belt and it was his first major loss, it was like he was just out there mucking around. You know, he was putting his head back. He was fawning around. He didn't have the instinct. He met a younger, hungrier guy that come out there, needed the money, needed the win, and he knocked him out. And I don't think Anderson is hungry anymore. I don't think he is looking to 
like he's wishing people, oh, I hope he goes on and wins the belt. He's not saying, I'm going to go on and win the belt anymore. I think he's just happy. I think he had so much pressure for so long because he was so good and the champion for so long. I mean, people don't understand the schedule like this level of fighters on with sponsors, UFC appearances, training, fighting, lifestyles, gyms. Like, it's a non-stop pressure field out there for them. When Anderson lost, he was almost, you could almost see like a weightlifter off his shoulder. Like, he was over, he was almost happy that the run was over. And I don't think he's looking to get that back. I don't think he wants that pressure back. I don't think he wants to be the champion again. I just think he's out there having a good time. He's enjoying fighting. Now, I, mean, I can't blame him. But on the other side, you can't help but think, God, I just wish he would do what he used to do. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the whole fight, I was watching it, I was just thinking to myself, God, go on, Anderson, do, what, do that what he used to do that. You do that. You can do it. It's going to happen any second. Watch, watch, watch. It's going to happen. And it just never did. You know, you know what I mean? And that's that's kind of how it leaves you at the end. And here's the thing. Like, his last couple of fights, whatever anyone wants to say about it, listen, after the Weidman fights, yeah, it was it was pretty rough to watch. It was kind of shocking. But then the Bisbing fight, yeah, Herb Dean messed up there. People don't understand. Yeah. Silva thought he won that fight. He dropped him. There was no Nolan action. Herb Dean was just confused. The adrenaline dump that must have happened when Anderson thought he won and to be dragged off the top of the cage, be like, no, go back in there and fight. And then the fight after that, he fights DC on, what, 24 hours notice to save UFC 200 because John Jones gets busted. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he beats Derek Brunson. Like, like, I still think he can compete at the top. The only thing that's missing is that drive. You know, I, I think... Yeah, well, like, but the, thing is, the thing is, what was his what was his drive of the initial in the fight? It's like, it's like you, you want something so bad, and then when you've had it for so long... Maybe he found that what he wanted after all didn't bring him the happiness that he thought it was going to bring him. Because, I mean, no one's thinking about the backlash that man got after he lost against Weidman. Do you know what I mean? Like, with social media platforms nowadays and with the media, and that man took... He went from being the pound-for-pound best of all time to being absolutely ridiculed and everyone kind of just putting him down that he lost the fight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that went on for a, that went on for a fucking long time. He got ridiculed for a very long time. And then he comes back and then he breaks his leg. He breaks his shin, which is an injury that not many come back from. And then he's living with every, all these people that were his fans and all these people that were, you know, blowing smoke up his ass on a daily basis, telling him he's the best of the best and he's this and he's that and all the rest of it. They all turned on him. Yeah, they all started yeah. saying, well, he's old now. He shouldn't come back. He's injured. He shouldn't be doing this. And he, they're all giving their opinions of what he can and can't do. No one would tell him what he can and can't do when he was champion. So all these people that you thought were all your fans and friends and colleagues and all that all turned your back on you when you lost the belt. I wouldn't want the belt back either. Mm. <laughs> Would you? No, Would no. you want to go out there and be as hungry as you was before you got the belt? So now he's got fame. He's over 40. Is he over 40 years old? 42, something like that? 
yeah, at uh, 42, 43 years old, it, do, it does yeah, seem so, like, so, you make a great so point. He's over four, so, so he's over 40 years old. He's got children. He's probably got a wife or a partner. He's got kids. He's got a gym. He's got worldwide recognition. Yeah. He's a massive celebrity in Brazil. Anywhere in the world, in fact, not just Brazil, but in Brazil, he's like, you know, he's, he's way up there. Um, he's got money. He's had success. And all that, all that success and all that money and all that fame and all the belts and all the rest of it that he did, it brought him a shit ton of negativity. It just brought him all these people that were just lining up to watch him fall. And when he fall, they'll laugh at him, which he didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve that at all. And to be honest, if I was back now and I was in his shoes, I wouldn't want the belt back either. I wouldn't want to set myself up to be surrounded by all these fake-ass people again and all these people telling me what I can and can't do and what I should do and what I should do at my age and I shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing this. Listen, Anderson's his own man. He didn't ask anyone to get into this sport. He's going out there. He's fighting. He's having fun. Yes, I wish he had the killer instinct because I'm a fan of his. That's all. If he hanged his gloves up tomorrow, I couldn't be much. I could. I wouldn't be any more or less of a fan. It wouldn't change my opinion of him, and I, and I feel it's a shame that. And it's not just Anderson. There's so many fighters throughout the years that we've seen gone so. Even Connor. Look at Connor when he first lost against Nick Diaz. Everyone was laughing. Everyone, but then he come back and he win again. And it's like against Nate. Sorry, not Nick. Nate. And and it's like you know. It's just it's the it's the fan base nowadays. It's just the people just want to see success, and then when people get successful, they want to see you fall. Mm-hmm. And then when you fall, they don't under why they wonder why no one's in a rush to come back. I mean, look at Connor; he's in no rush to come back. You look at Kane; he was in <laughs> Kane. Yeah, but not just the money. Whether you've got a hundred million in the bank or you've got thirty mil in the bank, forty mil in the bank, it doesn't change that much difference. Cain Velasquez, he's in no he was in no rush to come back. I think you make why? a great point about Anderson Silva, which is why I got to ask you this next question. Now, do you want to see him fight people more his age, legends? Like, me and you have kind of spoke on it before. You know, we've always wanted to see GSP. Might be five years too late. But do you want to see him fight, you know, people like that over up-and-coming contenders like a Israel Alessandra character at this stage? Yeah, but the- yeah, but then again, nowadays, look, then there's, I understand what you're saying, and we could say, like, okay, we, we have, like, the Legends League or something where they're going to, you know, they're going to fight, you know what I mean? But then again, you could fall in the trap of the Tito and Chuck scenario. Mm, yeah, yep. Do you know what I mean? We could be falling in that trap where he fights someone, he's 45 years old, and he fights a 38-year-old, and he doesn't perform the very best. And he's just going to look at Chuck Liddell now. Look at all of the accomplishments Chuck Liddell has got in MMA. Look at all the paths that he created and built in, in the UFC. And then look how he got ridiculed after his last fight. Even before it. it was you know what watch. I mean? Yeah, it was hard. And now, it, now it, yeah, it's hard to watch. But as... Chuck was going into that fight thinking he had the same fan base that he had when he was UFC champion. Do you know? And then all those same people mocked him, laughed at him, told him he's too old. What's he doing out there? You see him hitting pads. People are laughing and making jokes. 
uh, reposting and ridiculing the guy. And then he, you know, and then he gets knocked out, and then everyone's reposting it and ridiculing it and laughing and pointing the finger, making up stupid memes and all this crap that goes on social media nowadays. Like Fedor, and just, like we saw with Fedor. But and, and, Fedor. He, and he's, a, he's, a, he's another one. Yeah. He's another one. One of the very best pound-for-pound pound fighters of all time. He beat the who's who in MMA. And now he's losing to fucking Matt Mitrione and getting ridiculed. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just a shame. It's just a shame. And to be honest, uh, it's you know we've got. I think each fighter's got no one else to blame but themselves. But it doesn't surprise me they don't want to. They're not as hungry as they used to be because what they were hungry for before was the respect of the people. They were hungry for the admiration that come from being a professional athlete, the superiority from being a professional champion for the highest level, the money that came with that. You know, to get their families into a position where they could not have to struggle for the rest of their lives. And when they got there, I don't believe it was what they thought it was. We certainly heard that from Rashad. Uh, when Rashad was in the octagon, when he got the belt, was, they're like, how do you feel now? No different than when I felt when I walked out here. No different than I felt last week. Yes. Yes, but unfortunately, I know Rashad on a personal level. Uh, well, I did know him on a personal level. We used to be friends 10 years ago. And in my opinion, the worst thing that happened to Rashad was when he became champion because, believe it or not, he surrounded himself with a lot of fake people and he started to believe the hype. He believed the hype. And, you know, he left Greg Jackson's gym and went to Florida. And, but he didn't realize that how many people it took to help Rashad perform the way Rashad performed back then. The support system he needed to give him the confidence, to give him the skills, to give the techniques, the grooming that he had to have to be performing that way. He believed the hype, and then what happened to him? Couldn't win a fight if they fucking paid him. He got discouraged. No, he couldn't he, he he couldn't like... win a fight. If they, he couldn't believe why he wasn't winning fights. And the truest thing he ever said was I don't know what's going on. I'm fighting myself out there. Yeah, he felt like everyone that's betrayed him at, at one point too. He yeah, because like you know why? You know why you feel like everyone betrayed you? Because you think everyone, the fans, Dana White, are all your friends and fans for life. And it's not true. The minute you lost, they turned their back on you. And apart from real people, real people would have hung around. The rest didn't. And they fell. And then you're like, oh, all the fame and all the all the attention whoring and all the fame and all the autographs that I pretend I don't want to take and all the photographs that I pretend I don't want to be in, but I really do because it makes me feel good, but I pretend I don't like it. All of that stuff, you lost in touch with the real world. And that's not just Richard. That's a lot of celebrities. And that's a lot of things. Like, was like, that's, they all, all, they're all like, um, oh, oh, the guy wants another picture. Oh, oh. But really inside, they live for it. They live for it. Because the minute all that stopped, they were empty. They were, they were just like everybody else. They didn't believe in themselves anymore. They don't, they, cut, they give up fighting. You know, real fighters fight for life. You know, listen, they can say what you want. I'm not just talking about myself. I can only talk about myself because I know myself. I've won fights. I've lost fights. I've had ridiculed. I've been, I've been people tell me how good I am. It's all great, whether it's ridiculed or someone blowing smoke up my ass. It's all great. But the fact of the matter is I fight for me. 
and I fight for myself. And I'll always fight until the day I decide not to. I don't fight for the love of the fans. I don't fight for the anything. I fight for myself. You know, and and that's that's what it boils down to. Am I as hungry as I used to be? Yeah, I am. But I could see, I can I can see for a fact the people that have been up there. I can see why they don't want to go back. Look at look at GSP. Look what happened to GSP. I think GSP played his cards pretty well uh, after the Johnny Hendricks fight. Or you know, GSP is one of the most GSP is one of the most intelligent people in the world. Yet again, people mock the way he speaks or whatever. But don't forget, his first language is French. He's you know, his English is not his first language, so he's not as he speaks great English, in my opinion. But people mock the way he speaks because of his accent, which is just ridiculous. But, you know, how can you mock someone who speaks in multiple languages? That's just crazy. But people always ridicule him, take, make fun of him, whatever. He's the most, one of the most intelligent people I've ever met in the game, uh, full stop. The guy has reinvented himself. He's made some of the best moves in MMA. But when he lost, when, when we lost against Matt Serra, oh, people yeah. laughed at him. People laughed at him. How could you laugh at someone losing? You know, I mean, fucking hell. And Matt Sarah is an absolute killer. And you lost against the guy that was the number one contender in the world. How does that make you useless now? It's it's just it's just the opinion of uneducated people, to be honest. It, just, it, it drives me crazy. Yeah, it drives me crazy. But the worst thing that is brutal is when the fighter believes it. You know? And that's when he doubts himself. And that's why, like, I, I got to totally agree with you when you say GSP is one of the smartest fighters out there because when he retired for a little bit after the Johnny Hendricks fight, he came back and he told the fans, you know, MMA is kind of like the stock market. Like, sometimes you're high, sometimes you're low. You got to be smart about when you return. And when he came back against Bisbank, there was a lot of people that were doubting him. Look what he was able to do to the current yeah, champ at not, that time. Not, he looked- not, just, not just that, but he's exactly right. He decided when to come back, right? Yeah. There was loads of offers there was offers of Connor. There was offers of uh, the Diaz brothers. There was so many offers, people trying to pick him. But you know what? He wasn't going to allow himself to be a stepping stone. He thought, if I come back, I'm coming back to make my mark. He came back and he beat the current champion. Not only did he beat him, he destroyed him. He destroyed him, you know? And that's the intelligence and the smartness of someone like George St. Pierre. Now, really quick, James, uh, before we leave this subject, uh, let, let's talk about Israel Asana for the next 60 seconds here. What do you think that he should do next? Do you think he's, you know, granted a title shot, even though Whitaker Gaslam's kind of on hold right now? What do you think Israel Asana should do moving forward? Would you like to see him fight somebody like a Chris Weidman? Uh, I, think, I think, no, no, I think it's like what we're trying to do is here. I don't think he should fight Chris Weidman because, you know, no disrespect to Chris, you know, these are guys that have, um, have been around great. Like It's like Anderson Silva, a veteran, been around, an icon in the sport. You know, you can't have this young kid come through and keep taking out and using veterans' names to piss on them. Do you know what I mean? You've got to give them another young, up-and-coming, strong, dominant, top three, top four in the world fighter and allow him. He's not ready for a title shot just yet, even though he showed true class, amazing performance. It's very easy easy to jump on the on the hype train right it's very easy but if you actually think about it he needs a little bit more grooming in my opinion he's an amazing talent and i think he's going to be champion there's no doubt about that in my opinion i think he will and is good enough to be champion i just think he needs another couple of fights to groom him 
to put all the pieces to the puzzle 150% in place before he meets the champion. Now, you're a kickboxer. Did you hear of Israel Asanya before he entered the UFC? Yes, I'd heard of him. I'd seen him fight before. And in kickboxing, yes, I said the same opinion. He was very flamboyant, cocky, um, very, very talented. And all those things need to go together. When you say someone's cocky or egotistical, people think that's like um, a disrespectful thing. But actually, as a fighter, that's that's an actually very important trait to have because all fighters, believe it or not, are very egotistical. We're all, but no matter how, um, no matter how much they may be like uh, humble and stuff like that on the outside world, to be a fighter, you've got to be a bit egotistical because you've got to believe in yourself 24-7, right? You've got to tell people you're the best. You've got to believe you're going to win a fight before you even realize you're going to win it. So that wasn't a, a negative thing I said about him. You know, that him being egotistical is a great trait. And, and I saw all of that in his kickboxing days. But I didn't know whether he would be able to transition into MMA. And, and of course, the guy has, right? As I, I just put a post out there the other day on my social media. that um, I get a lot of people come to me and they've had a they fight in Thailand or they do Thai boxing out here or something or they or they're jiu-jitsu guys they want to learn striking just because you do Thai boxing in Thailand or just because you do jiu-jitsu in Brazil or whatever doesn't mean you can put all the pieces of the puzzle together and become an MMA fighter doesn't work like that do you know what I mean because yeah on paper all of the ingredients it takes to be a mixed martial artist is a a form of striking Striking realm, whether it's kickboxing, boxing, karate, whatever, tai, uh, you know, taekwondo, Mai Tai, that's one. Jiu-jitsu, very good. Submission grappling or wrestling or Roman Greco wrestling. Now, you could study all of those. That's the ingredients it takes to be a fighter. You could study each of those and be a black belt or a champion in each one of them. Does that mean you're going to be an MMA fighter or a successful one? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Why not? Because there's bridges that need to be built on all three or, or all of those martial arts to, to make an MMA fighter. It's different. The level is different. The striking combinations that work for kickboxing or Muay Thai or whatever don't always work for MMA. The, the gloves separation is a completely different thing in distance and striking punches. Um, the wrestling is completely different than normal wrestling. Uh, jiu-jitsu is not the same as competition jiu-jitsu because there's striking involved. So it's a huge, huge barrier. And there's a lot of things that you must do to accomplish that just because you're in those. And then what people think is, well, I'll go to a gym where I do, I do the Thai boxing in the morning. I'll do jiu-jitsu in the evening. If I do that for a few months, I could be an MMA fighter. No, you can't. No, you can't. There's only a few people in the world that's gone from high-level jiu-jitsu into MMA at a high level. There's only a few people in the world that's gone from high-level striking and made it in MMA at a high level. If it was that easy, out of all of the millions of people that do it, there'd be far more than just a few, right? So maybe he Israel, is made it. So maybe Israel should go against somebody like a Bill Romero. Who, yeah, he's older, but he has amazing wrestling. And yeah, we'll, we'll be able you to look see. at Yo. He, he may be a little bit older, but he's still on the top of his game. Yeah, Yo's, uh, you know, he's a very explosive fighter. He's not just a wrestler. Yeah, his background is wrestling, but boy, that guy can jump. You see his knockout knees. He's got striking. He's got wrestling. He's got jujitsu. He's got conditioning. Let's give him a real test. Let's give him someone like that. Not that Anderson isn't a real test, but hey, don't forget. 
a few fights ago, everyone was saying Anderson should have retired, right? 100%. And he didn't look that bad, man. So, I, I thought that was a close no, fight. No, listen, I thought he looked amazing. And I never agreed that he should have retired a couple of fights mm-hmm. ago either. But if you listen to the to the public or the fans, then there you go. It's like one yeah. minute <laughs> Anderson is yeah. a nobody and he should have retired. The next minute he fought a young kid and put on an okay performance. And everyone's saying, this kid's amazing because he beat Anderson. He didn't beat Anderson of five or ten years ago. He beat the same Anderson that you said two fights ago should retire. Let us know what you it's guys just, think. It's just that hype train that's out there right now, right? It's easy Ugh. to jump on board. I'm a bit more of a critic, and I'm always going to see the harder side than just the hype train, in my opinion. But maybe that's just me. The fans are <laughs> always going with the flavor of the week. That's that's what fans like to uh, jump on board with. That don't you know? Yeah. And you know what? And I always going to think to myself that. Uh, Listen, it's all well and great if you can do that, right? Like, but one sunny day doesn't make a summer. You know what I mean? Just like one rainy day doesn't make a winter. So it takes consistency. And I just want to see a bit more consistency throughout the board to make it to that top end. Yeah, you, listen, he beat Anderson Silva. Wow, what a, what a cap to put in your hat. Amazing. He showed true respect and, and admiration for Anderson before and after. Uh, absolute stud of a person and fighter, not taking nothing away from him. Then what's the rush? Let him have a couple of more fights before you give him the real one. We've seen this before where people have been chucked in the deep end too soon, a bit like Ninganu, if you like. Yeah. Beat, uh, beat, he beat Alistair with an amazing uppercut, knocked Alistair out. Very hard for to me to watch. He's a close friend of mine. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, wow. He's going to be the best of the best of the best. And then when you see him fight, Stipe actually wasn't that good a performance, right? And now everyone's writing him off and saying, well, eh, he wasn't as good as we thought, or maybe he isn't doing as good as we thought. Actually, no, you just all jumped on the hype train a little bit too early, and you pushed the poor fella to take a, a world title shot a little bit way too early. And then he became from being this humble um, African guy from hard-working background and all the rest of it to the UFC saying he's tough to deal with. <laughs> We're having a hard time dealing with him. Well, I'm not surprised. You all blew smoke up his ass yeah. and you made him feel like he was a god overnight. No wonder why he's a little bit hard to deal with, right? You gave him an ego. <laughs> yeah, when Dana White was sitting there uh, with, with Steve Baby, being like, oh, this guy punches harder than you know, uh, 340 horsepower and he punches harder than a Porsche and, and all this. Yeah. And you've got, you've got a guy there who a few years ago, you know, was farming or doing whatever he was doing, a yeah. hardworking man to now being in America with the best, biggest talent scout promoter in the world, Dana White saying you're the hardest puncher in the world. People can't fathom that, what that must mean to somebody when they hear that from somebody like Dana White telling them that, you know? Listen, I can tell you, I remember when I when I beat Matt Mitrione in the, in the Alma Firehouse. I'm not here to keep knocking on Matt, believe it or not, but it's just coincidence. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> but Dana White said in the interview, oh, McSweeney's the real deal. There's no doubt about it. That's That guy's a real fighter. He's the real deal. And I heard him say that about me, and I was like, fuck, man, that's... I, of course, listen, I've heard people give me compliments before and say I'm a good fighter or something. But when you hear it from someone like Dana like White. It's a drug, right? It's, no, yeah, it's like a drug, but it's also like 
I, I like if your if your mum or your dad says that you're a good person, you're like, yeah, but they're my mum and dad. They kind of got to say that, right? <laughs> but if you've got a complete stranger of someone you like, you know, like a, a high court judge saying, no, you're you. an astounding, you're an astounding person in the government. You're you're a great help to everyone you've ever come. That actually stands for something. It means for something, and it's from someone you admire the most. So, in my eyes, when Dana said that about me, I was like, "Wow, wow!" That I'll never forget that. And to this day, ten years later, I've never forgot it. In fact, when I saw him here in Thailand, he said to me the last departing words we had: "Don't forget what I said about you." And I said, "I'll never forget that." And um, you know, it's almost emotional. It's almost like, "Wow, that's." It stands. So Paul Ngannou has come from absolutely nothing to be having everyone rave and tell him he's the biggest and best puncher in the world. He could knock out a horse. He believed it. And he probably can. But just because you can knock out a horse doesn't mean you're going to be the best MMA fighter in the world. Ask Stipe. You laid that out perfectly for listeners out there that really had a hard time getting a grip on that. Especially me, myself. I think you really put that into a, a good perspective. Now, you're talking about Stipe here, and this is a guy who, who's taken out the hype trains. He's defended the title more than anyone else in the heavyweight division, and yet he's having a hard time trying to get back to the title shot. DC, DC Daniel Gourmet, is denying him of the title shot. What are your thoughts on that? And what do you think would be deserving of an immediate rematch? What, what qualifies you for an immediate rematch, if not that? I don't think he deserves a rematch at this exact moment. And to be honest, I think if he was to get one, it would be a mistake. The reason why I say that, not because I don't believe in Stipe at all, but what I mean is DC went out there, took on the hype train of Stipe, right? Stipe beat the hype train. So therefore, he became the hype train. He was the calm, quiet, underrated guy that everyone was saying was going to lose against the big Ninganu. He beat, he beat the shit out of Ngannou and took that crone, crown rightfully back. So, Stipe was standing there. DC stepped up a weight class, stepped into the heavyweight division, and took him out, in my opinion, with ease. He took him down at will. He manhandled him. He put pressure on him. And to be honest, he beat the shit out of him. That's no disrespect to Stipe. That's just what happened. Now, what's Stipe done to be better to rematch him now? Like, let's say, let's say six months has passed. Well, I've trained every day. Well, so has DC. Well, I've worked on my wrestling. So has DC. Well, I've worked on my striking. So has DC. Um, what's the outcome going to be? No different. Stipe should go back take another fight or two to recreate himself. So learn some new things in the gym, implement it with somebody that he knows he can implement on, like a comeback fight, and then get out of like a superior knockout or an amazing submission. And then say, I've been working on all these holes in my game. I want a rematch. And there's a chance there could be a difference in the outcome. You can... It wasn't... It wasn't like it was so close of a fight. Listen, if it's a, if it was a world title fight and they went the distance and it was a split decision and DC won, I could see I could see Stipe saying, "I don't agree with a split decision. I thought I won that fight. 
I did this takedown defense. I took him down here. I landed more significant strikes. He, he illegal shotted me there, but didn't lose a point. I think that deserves a rematch. This is the McGregor argument, like against Aldo. I can't do any better than what I yeah. did in that first fight. Exactly. So what's Aldo done to deserve a rematch? Yeah, you, I, you just caught me lucky. Okay, then I caught you lucky. But you know something? I was backstage drilling that technique for 35 minutes before we fought. So you call it luck. I'm calling it. I drilled it. And I saw your weakness. I knocked you out. Go out and fight again and prove to me you don't have that weakness anymore. And we'll fight and we'll have another better fight. We'll put on a better show for the crowd. If the, if Stipe goes out there and just wrestles the fuck out of someone out there or gets one of the best submissions or one of the greatest head kick knockouts or jumping knees, he shows some excitement and show that he's working on new techniques that he hasn't done before. And then we could believe there's an opportunity that he could actually beat DC. He hasn't done that. So if I was DC, I'd say, hang on a minute. I just fought you once and took the belt off you like it was butter. Like, it was so easy. I just took it. You haven't done anything. You haven't fought anyone. And I've just got to give you a, a rematch just because you asked me? No. I want to go and get a money fight. I want to go and fight someone else who deserves a title shot. Because, you know what, if that's the way, it just means that there's just going to be, every time a champion loses the belt, they get an automatic rematch. Even if it's close or it's not. And I don't think it should be like that. I think it should always be if it's a, if it's a, a very close fight or maybe maybe like um, I'm really sorry to say but I forget the girl's name where she threw the head kick but she, the toe went in the eye. Oh, and uh, she Megan lost. Anderson versus Kat Zingano. Megan Anderson, Jin Zingano. You could almost say if that happened in the world title stages, that deserves a rematch yeah. because yeah, I took a toe in the eye. Yeah, I should have blocked the head kick, but it was a little bit accidental and it was a bit of a freak accident and I lost. That deserves a rematch, don't it? If yeah. you if you go to distance and it's a split decision and the ref the judges have made a real fucked up like God, everyone believed DC won, but Stipe won. Every judge fucked it up. They took the judges' scorecards and it's uproar. That deserves a rematch. That wasn't the case. DC just went out there, out wrestled the shit out of him, and beat the crap out of him. You know, and not be disrespectful the Stipe, he's got to be honest with himself. And say, yeah, that's what happened. I got to ask you this though, James. Kane's returning. We all know that DC trains with Kane. So now if Kane wins, do you think DC might relinquish the title? And we may see Stipe versus Kane Velasquez for the... No, I think, I, think, I, think, I think what will happen is if Kane comes back and beats Ninganu and he's in, the, he's in a title shot contention, I don't, I don't think DC has any... I, if, if I'm really honest, I think DC's looking to retire. That's yeah. what I think. He's I think it. he wants a money. I think he wants a money fight in either the light heavyweight or heavyweight division. I think he wants to stay in the heavyweight division because, to be honest, I think he wants about as much as John Jones. He don't want no more of it. Not the fact that I don't think he believes he can't win. I think he knows he knows he can't win, and I think he just can't handle the head fuck that Jones as beating him on, on any occasion. Do you know what I mean? Jones is really like, I mean, without being even recruited than I have to be, he stuck his dick in his brain. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's got him brain fucked. Like, you won't believe. Like, he's just too many occasions where, I mean, we even saw him break down and get emotional. You know what I mean? Like, it's just too many times. I don't think he wants any part of John Jones. 
um, comeback or anything. I think he's looking for a Brock Lesnar kind of fight where he's going to get a big pay-per-view percentage. He's looking for that kind of realm. You know, what he's really, I think what he's praying for, he's praying for the outcome of John Jones and, and yet again, I apologize. My memory is uh, terrible. The guy, Anthony Smith, Smith, he wants Smith to win that fight. If Smith wins that fight, he will take on Smith oh, yeah. and say, see, I beat the guy to beat John Jones, right? Yeah. If Smith doesn't win that fight, I think he stays clear of John Jones because he just knows he ain't got what it takes to beat John. And I think he pressures the heavyweight division. If Kane steps up and is in a, is in a title contention, I just think he relinquishes the belt and hands his retirement in and says, you know what, fuck it. I'm not interested. I'll come back for a, a big a big pay-per-view fight like Brock Lesnar or someone along those levels eventually if it ever happens. If not, I'm a two-time champion. I've got all the fame and success. You know, yeah, John Jones beat me, but he wasn't clean. You know, he's got all the excuses for the right areas. He works for the UFC board and do the networking. You know, he's a light, he's a great guy, super intelligent, got a good history. He could have a full career after that, even in analysation of the sport. You know what I mean? So he's a good people person. Like I think he's a really nice guy. I, I was disappointed in the outcome of him and John a few times. Um, not because John won, because I, I like John Jones too, but I just think that uh, Kane, uh, um, DC kind of let himself down with some of the things that he said. That's all. I just didn't respect some of the things that he said. No, but um, that's my opinion, so... Now, James, really quick, I just want to touch on this because I think it's the most important topic of this podcast, and that's why I saved it for last. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but because we have a couple of fan questions before we end the podcast, but I think it's really important to hear from you what you think about this whole situation with John Jones, the picogram, USADA, Jeff Nowinski. I mean, it's, it's a picogram, which is, for people out there that don't know, John Jones has said a million times, a grain of salt cut up into 500 million pieces. And that's what's in his system. Now, does this mean that USADA is too strict, that science is too good to the point where they can detect these things? But why isn't anyone else getting tested uh, or, or popping for it? What does it mean to you? Should it be, is it fair? Is it not fair? What, what does it mean to you as a fighter that uh, John Jones is well, accepted with this? You've got to take fairness out of it, right? Because fairness has nothing to do with it because it's a test. When you have a test... The results are the results, right? If I go in for a blood test and they say, you, you know, you have this in your system, you go for a urine sample, hair follicle test, whatever it may be, fairness doesn't come into it, does it? Because you do a test, you don't say, can you give me a fair reading? You don't say that. You say, I want exact reading of what's in this man's or this female's blood. What's been in his system? Now, if there is a 500% minimum of one grain of salt or sand or whatever you want to say, the fact of the matter is it was a lot bigger at one time. In time, these things wear off, right? Because everything has a lifespan, right? Like there's certain testosterones that will be in your system for a year. Like death, for example. Like DECA, like DECA, for example, could be in your body for one, one year. Um, then you've got something like propanate that can be in your body for maybe a week. Then you've got something like suspension that's in and out of your body in 
hours. It, people, there's bodybuilders out there that use it for like a pre-workout. Like it gives them such a blood rush of oxygen. They'll inject in the morning, have breakfast, go to the gym like a fucking animal, rip up weights, and then you could test them in the evening and it's gone. It's called suspension. Wow. It's a fast-active steroid, right? So at the end of the day, always leave some kind of trace depending on how high the, or how expensive or how molecule the tests are. The fact is, if there's a picogram of something in your blood, at one stage or another, it was bigger. It's in there. It's still there. And the, the steroid that they're talking about, they're saying it could have been in John Jones' system. And I say could have been because I don't know. I'm not there. I'm not his doctor. I'm not his nutritionist. The fact of the matter is, it was bigger and it was there at one point. It didn't get into his body any other way apart from orally or injected. That's it. So the reason why the US uh, uh, ADA is, is high on it and they're saying there's stuff in your system is because that doesn't belong in your system. So, yes, it's a molecule amount. Is that enough to performance enhance you today? Probably not. But at one stage during somewhere along the line, there was way more which could have enhanced you. So, like, where, where do you think something like that would come from? Because there, there's been speculation that, you know, these over-the-counter, you know, GMCs, you know, down in Brazil yeah, well, yeah, yeah, or these yeah, other yeah, countries. Yeah, 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 but this is, where, this is where everyone's getting a little bit tied up here, right? You're talking about – let's take John Jones out of it just for a second. Okay. You're talking about the highest-end athlete in the world, in their field, Correct. 100%. He ain't walking into, he ain't walking into GMC and buying over the counter crap. <laughs> is he? No. He no, has sponsors, no he has doctors, he has pharmacists. He has the highest of the best, best of the best sending him every piece of food, nutrition, recovery you could get your fucking hands on. So there's no mistakes being made here. Right? Because if it was Someone else's mistake. I'm sure the top end athlete would stand up and say, well, this is my nutritionist. He's a doctor. He gave me all this is my this is what I take for my whole training camp. You can look at it all yourself. Test all of these products. I haven't taken nothing but what's in these products. Then they say, okay, then we'll test them. They'll test those products and they'll say, well, that that we found in your system is not in any one of those products. So it was somewhere else. Yes, there is there is um, nutrition out there like pre-workouts, creatine, and all of these other things that can over-the-counter be crap because they're cheap shit, and they have something else dipped in them, or they have a a molecule that shouldn't be there because whatever, you know what I mean? The it's just cheap over-the-counter. Amino acid that has been put in this, or Nitrotech has made that. But we ain't talking about over the counter stuff, are we? We're talking about one of the highest level athletes of the world that should have his game on point. Talking about GSP the other day, when he came out here to Thailand, I went down to see him at my gym and he was training. And he said, Oh, no, I don't feel good today. I, I had the shits. I had bad stomach. And I've had a. Uh, you know, Thai stomach, I've had bad chicken or something, I've got the runs. And I said, just go to the pharmacy and get some 
charcoal tablets. They're natural. You take a charcoal tablet every three or four hours. It kills all the enzymes in your body, and you know you stop having a bad tummy in, in a day. He said, "No, I, I can't buy anything in any pharmacy. Um, I don't put anything in my body that shouldn't be. I, yeah. I don't know. It'll just do. It'll just do its Wait, own see. thing." That was it was GSP a year ago when he wasn't even fighting. So, do you think someone like John Jones? Let's actually use his name. John Jones walks into fucking you know, uh, any old nutrition shop and says, oh, GMC, I've heard good things about you. <laughs> Do you have a pre-workout or a recovery drink I could take? Yeah. Of course he doesn't. He doesn't go into any old pharmacy and say, can I get a headache tablet? Can I get this? Can I get that? Because he doesn't know. So therefore, he goes to his professional doctor and he says, doctor, I've been getting headaches. I don't feel very good. I don't sleep very good. Can I get this? I'm feeling lethargic. Okay, Mr. Jones, we'll do a blood test. Oh, hang on a second. You've got to take this, this, and this. Here's a prescription. And if you get tested, we can show what you've taken. There you go, sir. So should he it's be allowed to fight? Because these other fighters who got popped for the same thing, like Frank Mir, have been suspended for two years. Yeah, no, but then he shouldn't be allowed to fight. And you know what? You know, I'm not going to just go out there and, and put everyone on blast. It's just not the way yeah, it is. But yeah. you know, I know Frank, and, and you know, she's Frank went from light heavyweight to a big heavyweight, right? That was no, uh, that was no surprise how he did it. So let's just put that out there. But the fact of the matter is, things don't just enter your body. Careful, Jim. I'm going to be seeing you. Frank tomorrow. Uh, no. <laughs> I don't need him giving me a problem. <laughs> no, no, listen, there is no problems. The fact of the matter is, it's nothing to do with you. It's just, listen, uh, whatever's in your own body is in your body. You know how it yeah. got there. Because you're a professional athlete, it's your job to know. And if you didn't know, then someone's got to be held responsible. You know, it's nothing to do with um, Frank or John or anyone else. It's just to do what it's got to do with as an athlete. You, you know what's in your body. If it's not in your body, there's someone who works on your team that put it in your body and they're responsible and they're going to be held official. And then they have to step up and say, no, 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 I had no awareness of this. I prescribed Mr. Person, whoever it may be, with this. And it can be dealt with. But to say I haven't taken nothing, I didn't do nothing, I don't know nothing about it, it's not from my stuff, well, okay, it didn't just enter your body. It didn't just enter your bloodstream. Forget John, forget Frank, forget anybody. Nothing enters your bloodstream unless you put it there. So really quick, just to ask you, if your opponent had a picogram, he had a picogram you, you still would feel confident to fight him. You wouldn't think it had any extra effect on him, correct? No, I wouldn't give a monkeys. But, yeah. I mean, listen, if you watch John Jones versus DC, right, the techniques that John Jones used, whether he was on steroids or not, nothing to do with me, I don't know. Whether he was or he wasn't, that's not what caused him to learn those techniques and implement him to beat DC the way he beat him, I can tell you. Yeah. No way. Those techniques were intelligent, beautifully timed, speed, and that's what beat DC. Now, was it fair by the rules that he won that way? No, it wasn't. Because on the rule states, no performance enhancing products, not just on the day of the fight, during camp, during your lifespan, during anything you've done for that sport. That's a fact. And 
DC had a right to say that's unfair, and he did, and John got stripped and suspended and all the rest of it. It's not down to the opposite fighter to say those things. It's down to a commission. That's why they have Nevada Athletic State Commission. That's why they have uh, USADA testing. That's their jobs. The opponent, you know, that's it's not his place to say that. You know, at the end of the day, it's got to be as fair as it's got to be, and that's why the rules are there, right? Let us know what you guys think about this down below. Let's move on to fan questions really quick before we end the podcast. Let's end with this one question here, James. You know what? Two really quick. Uh, let, let's do the first one. We'll cover it in 90 seconds. Is MMA a team sport? What What, what is your opinion there? Um, to a degree, it can be if you fight for a team. Like if you fight for a gym, for example, there's team, you know, uh, commodity. Like when I was at Jackson's, for example, you know, we always used to train as a team. Like uh, uh, Keith Jardine would help me or I would help uh, him or Rashad. Or there was a whole team of us to all train together, Cowboy and and, and, and all the good guys would all be together training. And there was a teamwork of commodity. So it was a team. But when you fight, of course, you're on your own. There were certain times in training you'd be on your own. There were certain conditioning where you'd train on your own. You have a, an instructor or a coach or whatever to push you. So it's an individual sport, but it's supported by a team. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, an Olympic sprinter. Is that a team sport? No, he's an Olympic sprinter. He runs on his own. But – so for him to be able to sprint the way he does to his very best, he has to have a team behind him. He's got to have training partners. He's got to have nutritionists. He's got to have sports therapists. He's got to have, you know, he's got to have all of these implementations to make a. And that, of course, that is a part of a team, right? But it's not a team sport as in the fact of 10 people on the soccer field all playing and number four makes a mistake and then, we lose a goal and then number two scores a goal and then we start to win and it's a team effort. It's not that way. If a fighter loses, usually it's on him, you know, um, but he, of course, you have a team. So it's a bit of a, a two-sided question, but on the performance level, no, it's not. It's an individual sport and there's certain parts of it that are individual, but then there are a team basis where people can help each other. Well, like you were saying before, like uh, sometimes if you get too connected with your team and think they're family, you, you, you're prone to be hurt at that time sometimes. Yeah, because, I mean, I've, I've fallen victim to this to myself. I had a bad experience in Denver where I really fought um, – a certain gym that I was training at was like my family. I thought they were my team. We, our friends, we all went to each other's houses. We, we did everything together. And then when it all fell apart, not only did you feel the loss of a team or a gym that you trained at, you also felt a loss of like, you lost a, a, a big group of friends as well. So it's a double hitter. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I never allowed myself to have that feeling again. Um, no matter how much I like my teammates and I think, I wouldn't invite them around with my family. I never would invite them out to dinner um, with my family. I, I never let them get anything closer than what they than what they just were. They were my they were my fight they were my fight team. They were my fight friends. They were people I had commodity with in the gym. I, it doesn't mean I I didn't like them. It just meant that I was in no rush to overly trust them too early that I would do before. It's like friends with benefits. Like you don't want to date this girl. But you want to have fun with them and kind of, you know, get better, you know, yeah, but, gain you experience know, in, with them. Yeah, but in time, in time, you know, time reveals all. And in time, 
friendships will blossom or they will die and fade away. And sometimes when they're rushed, it's just going to die even quicker. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, everyone's good until the point of being tested. When everyone's doing really well and everyone's great in life and you're giving and giving and giving and giving, of course they're your friend. But when you need something and you need help and you need support and you've, or you've made mistakes, then you'll find out who's forgiving and who's your friend and who's really there for you. Do you know what I mean? We're all human. We've all made mistakes. I've made a bunch in my life that I've, I look back and I regret and I think, oh, God, I wish it never happened for one reason or another. You know, maybe it was ego. Maybe it was immaturity or all of the above. But that's what makes us grow and move on. But um, you find out who's who when, you know, when shit starts to hit the fan, right? It's in all walks of life, whether you're at your job and you, you make friends there. It, it's kind of the same thing. So uh, there, there we go with that uh, fan question. One last one, James, uh, and th- this is definitely uh, one that you need to answer. Can you gain body mass without it affecting your cardio? Yes. Yes, you can. Um, it, it, it can definitely be done. In fact, if you look at me, for example, um, when I was in Ultimate Fighter House, um, I was 210 pounds. Today I'm walking around at 255. Um, so... How does that happen? A, with maturity, your body gets older, it gets more uh, natural muscle. Um, and when you're young, you're not artificial muscle, but it's not dense muscle yet. If you feel an older person's muscle, and I don't mean old as in 60, I mean someone who's in their late 30s muscle, it's always very hard and, and very um, strong. Whereas a 20-year-old, a young 19, 20-year-old kid, the muscle still formulated. It's a little bit softer, even when it's tensed. Um, the muscle denseness changes it. And when density gets added, it adds weight. Um, plus, with intelligence of knowing yourself and your body over in time, you can gain weight, not fast. Artificial weight, um, whether it's through overweight training, overnutrition, steroids, or, or anything like that, if you gain a bunch of weight too soon, too quickly, your muscle, your body's not used to it. All of a sudden, you're used to walking around at 220 pounds. Someone, you know, a bit of an exaggeration, but overnight, someone puts a big backpack on your back with an extra 20 kilo, and you think you're going to move around the same? Of course not. If someone added half a kilo every week, for a year, there's your 20 kilo, and your body will naturally start to adjust. And as long as, like, like for myself, like now I, um, I'm heavier, but when I was gaining weight and I was working on gaining weight, I wore ankle weights all day. And even when I was just walking around to go to a shop, people look at me like I was a lunatic. I'd walk around to the shops and I'd wear ankle weights. I'd go, sh- uh, I'd go just sit around my house wearing ankle weights. I would, you know, I'd go to the gym, I'd wear ankle weights. And everything I would do, footwork drills with ankle weights. So <laughs> my body was overly heavy, overly heavy. So even though I was putting weight on, I was putting on even more weight. So when I took them off, it wasn't like my body was heavy. It was actually my body got used to be, oh, it's a little bit lighter. When really, naturally, it was still 20 pounds heavier. So I was kind of fucking with my brain a little bit and my body feeling of itself. And if you look at, you know, someone who wants to look at someone of my size fight, my last fight, for example, I'm making jumping knees. I'm quite quick. I'm good footwork. I try to move a lot. 
not natural, you know, I'm not like I'm a slow 250-pound guy or 255-pound guy. So I think it has benefit to not slow you down and you can have good cardio, but it must be done in a very um, thought process. You can't just go out there and be a bodybuilder and whack on a lot of bodybuilding weight and think your body's still going to be as fit or as quick as it used to be. When it was 20-pound lighter, it's impossible. If you do yeah. it over a long period of time and you do it the right way with the right kind of training, the right kind of balance, it can be done. When I saw this question, I thought it would be perfect for the show because you've definitely filled out perfectly throughout the years. You've really become a gorilla, and you see it on all the Instagram comments, all the Reddit comments of what, what people say about your physique at this point and stage and how explosive you are, like you're saying, the flying knees, running across the cage and stuff like that. I thought this was the perfect thing to uh, to answer there. So there you guys go. What's something that people can eat to help them gain mass with uh, also holding up their cardio. Well, people always think like meat and stuff like that, but if you really think about it, one thing that really turned me and I, I'm not really a big vegetable eater. I'm not really big into vegetables. I'm quite a, a I'm quite a simple guy like protein and carbs and stuff like that. I eat a few little bits of veg, but if you really think about it, like, um, someone really helped me out a few years back, and it was always t telling me about first-hand proteins. Um, Meat, uh, like let's say beef, for example, it's a second-hand protein. Why is it a second-hand protein? Well, if I eat beef, it's a cow. What does a cow eat? Grass. So the digestion of all that greenery in the cow enhances the, the protein in the meat of the cow, and then I eat the cow. Well, how can I get first-hand protein? Eat the greens. So I started putting spinach, kale, um, high-level greens into my protein drinks and blending them and getting first-hand proteins. And I mean, how much greens could you eat on a plate? I mean, to get the same kind of level that you can get from a steak, wow, that's a fucking lot of greens. So I couldn't do that. Where could I do it? If I blended them into a protein drink, I add a banana. Uh, potassium is one of the best things in the world to add. Well, it, potassium is a carrier of protein into the body. So coconut water and stuff like that, not only is it a very good electrolyte, it's an amazing source of potassium. So it's almost better than a protein drink because potassium carries protein from your gut into the muscle. So you've got to have high levels of potassium. You've got to get your greens and you've got to mix up your protein sources. You can't just stick to chicken and fit, uh, you know, just chicken and rice or chicken and protein. You've got to have your beef. You've got to have some fish in there, a good source of fish, like a grouper or a tuna, or where you've got a good healthy fats. And those good healthy fats, yet again, can help carry the process of building more muscle. And that's that it's, it's it's quite a difficult. We can have, we can have a whole podcast just about that. To be honest, it's it's, it's quite. I, I know a lot about it. I've done a lot of studying for it, and I've been doing it over the last, you know, ten years of my career. So I've spent a lot of time studying it as much as I can. So there's there's a lot to learn. But yeah, just a simple thing like that. Open up your mind a little bit. Find out what's your best sources. First hand is your best source. I'd like to get more questions like that from you guys that are listening right now. And I really appreciate, James, we've had a couple thousand downloads on the podcast. Crazy, uh, right? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome to see it's picking off. Uh, and we, we got some pretty exciting news as we move forward into the episode 13. And if you guys have any more guest we got, questions. We've got, we got, we got, we got some sponsors turned up as well to start um, coming up. We start advertising as well. So that's always quite good. And any listeners out there that want to be a part of the sponsorship program with uh, Gloves Off, we're all 
hopefully secured a couple that are looking to help us along the lines to make this a little bit bigger and a better growing and, and bigger, bigger reach, outreach to everybody. Um, of course, we're always open for connection. So if you want to let us know or connect with us, we sh- uh, we're open for these opportunities. And also, guys, down below, if you as a listener want to donate, uh, the, the link for that is down below. And if you do donate, uh, we'll, we'll send you something. I'll definitely send you uh, you know, a wristband, a sticker, whatever. We're going to have the link for the merchandise down below as well that will help me and James out. And uh, if you guys go to an MMA event, if you go to Bellator, and you rock a gloves off shirt, and you run another listener, you get a high five. And there's nothing better than that, connecting on something like that. So, uh, you know, you guys can experience that. And I'll, I'll be at Bellator tomorrow night. So if you guys want to tune into that, it's back to back. And then UFC going down this weekend as well. And you guys heard James uh, James and I's prediction. So uh, let us know who you guys are picking there. And we will talk to you guys next week. James, is there anything else you would like to say for end of today's episode? No, good, guys. Thank you all for tuning in as always. Many downloads as possible. And any questions, don't ever hesitate. Just let us know. We're always happy to ask away. There's never a bad question. The only question that's a silly question is one you don't ask us, right? So anything you've got to ask us, just let us know. And far away, we're always happy to help. And um, we appreciate you all. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great week. Enjoy the fights. Look after yourselves. Subscribe down below. Follow James McSweeney at McSweeney MMA. Follow us at Gloves Off Pod on Twitter. And me and James will talk to you guys in two weeks. James, have a good night. Or a good day. You too, mate. Bye-bye. <laughs> Later. There you guys go. Episode 12 in the books. James McSweeney. Evil Eddie. Way knuckles to the end, guys. Behave yourselves.